Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. I certainly, in my first year on the board in 2018, when I looked around the table, I wasn't looking at many people who looked like me. And it just further made me determined to be that voice. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome, Solar Warrior. We are back for another episode here on Suncast. I'm honored, as always, that you are joining me for another fantastic foray into the world of solar energy leadership. If you have ever pulled yourself up by your bootstrings, ever worked hard as hell just to get on the level playing field, ever kept at something because it was simply worth doing, then today's amazing guest in this episode is for you. Today's energy executive is my longtime friend and true solar warrior, Kendra Hubbard. Kendra and I met in 2011 in Philly at a regional solar conference, the way I've met so many of you. She earned and kept my respect for her tenacity and ingenuity from the very first moment that we met. You'll hear all about that and so much more today as I share with you some of the ways that she's become a thought leader in the solar industry and how she manufactured her ascension to become one of the General Assembly elected members of the National Board for the Solar Energy Industries Association, or SIA. She's a true inspiration, and I'm honored to know her. If you love this episode, then you should check out the nearly 240 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. Hopefully you've checked that website out before. While you're there, do join our Suncast tribe, our weekly email that way, you'll get a reminder every Friday of what you've missed here on Suncast, just in case you were too busy during the week. And before we get into the episode, I did want to add one more quick note. With the coronavirus disrupting our daily lives, I'm trying to think of ways that we as the Suncast tribe can come together to support one another. So please pay close attention to this week's newsletter, which hits tomorrow, as I just mentioned, as I'll be asking for your input on some ideas that I'd like to float to the general community. My thoughts and prayers are with all of you, and I want you to know we are here to support you personally and professionally through your journey. I really, truly mean that. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, here we go with a fantastic foray into a view to how to craft a career that aligns with your life and uh, get to hang out with a friend, someone that I have known now for, gosh, going on a decade. Uh, so I have the distinct pleasure and honor of having Kendra Hubbard here today on Suncast. Kendra in the house. Hey, Nico. Good to be here. Yeah, likewise. Good to have you. It's uh it's crazy times right now as we record this here up in the Pacific Northwest. Probably we'll talk a little bit about uh, the run on toilet paper in the, <laughs> in the greater Northwest, Northwest area and and, every, and all other things you have a little bit of experience with managing uh, that kind of crisis. Before we jump into it, for those who are unfamiliar 
uh, or who have not in some way come across this dynamic woman's uh, presence in the solar industry, Kendra uh, and I got into what uh, got into the business around the same time. It's funny we actually have a lot of things in common. We'll talk about. But she, after finishing a an executive degree, thanks to her time at Target, getting her MBA, she transitioned into uh, a career in the trades, figuring out how to help contractors sell their story better, <laughs> just put it mildly, uh, and found a passion, which she'll tell us a little bit more about in the in the solar industry. And now she has climbed to the highest of heights uh, on the at least on the philanthropic and nonprofit side. She serves on the board of. Solar Industry, Solar Energy Industries Association, and she also is the regional sales manager for uh, Unirac or account strategic account manager. I think is what you guys would call yourselves, but she handles the the Pacific Northwest for Unirac and uh, is one of those uh, women who is uh, quite capable uh, on the roof and off, uh, understanding the intricacies of how solar projects come together and how the industry has been made. So, Kendra, with that so glad that we get a chance to chat. It's been a long time coming. Awesome. I'm really excited to share my story. And thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. You are welcome. I get to ad lib with people that I've known for a long time. So that was fun. <laughs> I remember, I'll tell a story. I'll start off with a story. Okay. Uh, and then I'll invite you to tell me how you got, how you found yourself in random, uh, in the random position that we met. But I remember when I was working at Trina, uh, the only time I believe, maybe I went to Boston a couple of times, but one of the only times I went to Boston, I was at, uh, or was it Philadelphia? Anyway, I was at the, uh, what is now, I think, Solar Power Northeast. Um, it was not called PV that. PV America. PV America. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, conference. And I was just ambling about between uh, between meetings and I came across this booth that was made, if I'm not mistaken, either all of bamboo or all of recycled cardboard, one of the two. Do you remember? Cardboard tubes. That's right. Cardboard <laughs> tubes. And I, I just stood there and looked at it for a minute. And, and you walked up and started a conversation with me. And uh, I said, this is the most uh, interesting and unique booth I've ever seen. Uh, and also, I've never heard of this company. Tell me more. And, uh, and Kendra, at the time, you were the marketing manager for, uh, a, a, I'd say, relatively little-known uh, company at that time called NESL up in Portland. And you not only designed, but put the booth together yourself. And so I immediately had this uh, profound admiration for uh, the kind of person who can pull that off. Tell me about how you wound up in the solar industry. And by that, I mean, and feel free to take as long as you need. Uh, you were managing a Target Corporation uh, store. Uh, you certainly didn't have on the surface what appeared to be a career that would bring you into uh, the solar industry. So how did you get exposed to it? And how did you know that this is really where you wanted to plant roots? PV America was in 2011. And I started working in the solar industry in 2010 when we came across. And I remember that conversation too. And that booth was a nightmare to put together. Um, but um, yeah, that was a, a Chinese module manufacturer that had operations based in, in Portland. But um, how I got into the industry. Um, you're right. I, I was working at Target. And after finishing my graduate degree there, I had a job opportunity working for a roofing manufacturer in Portland, Oregon. And I did uh, marketing and product development for that company. I developed a reflective shingle. And um, roofing is pretty slow to change, but I did a bunch of market research into the green building materials market and um, saw that there was a need for uh, green materials um, the, the building materials market and housing market 
during that time, 2008, 2009, um, wasn't doing so great. And, uh, I was on, I was on the look for, for a new opportunity. And I saw a posting to work for a solar manufacturer and, I really enjoyed my time working uh, for a building manufacturer. My dad was a roofer when I was growing up. And so I, I have a, a fondness and appreciation for people who do that type of work, who work with their hands. Um, and I found it particularly interesting to market an actual product. So I thought, you know, roofers are very much like solar contractors. Um, I see the opportunity in the solar industry, not only for growth, um, but also for, for, being, uh, for being a woman. Um, and for entrepreneurship. And um, I applied, I applied to work for NESL and, and that's, you know, that's how I got my start in the solar industry in 2010. You mentioned working for the roofing company, a company called Malarkey there in Portland. And what's coincidental is that in 2008, I got a job at DRI, which is uh, the, the job I had right before I was at Sharina. And uh, they were a ma- major hundred million a year roofing company. We, I was the first uh, solar salesperson hired in for those who know my story, but uh, that was the roofing industry as well. And we joined around the same time in that industry. Uh, I, I on the solar side, you on the roofing side, didn't know each other, but nonetheless, it was 2008. Anyone who's paying attention knows that, that was the, the global financial <laughs> crisis, which we may well yeah. be going into one another uh, soon. So uh, I'm, I'm actually curious, you, I believe, were finishing your MBA. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Why, why jump into manufacturing? You had uh, a major, you know, Fortune Five company <laughs> paying, <laughs> paying for your MBA. Uh, why'd you Why'd you jettison from that to go to roofing uh, of all yeah. of all trades? Uh, and roofing is not, for what it's worth, known for being very diverse in in, in gender or no, other, or in not. other ways. <laughs> Yeah, um, I really appreciated my time at Target. Um, one of the things that I learned to do really well at Target was how to manage a crisis and how to be mm-hmm. reactionary in a way that that allowed us to continue to manage the store and to be profitable. And part of that is, um, you know, you're you're basically working on call nights and weekends to make sure that the store is operating, that team members are having a good experience, and and um, that um, you're, you know, earning the revenue that is expected of, of the business. It's, it's fairly entrepreneurial. Um, and um, so I was working nights, weekends and um, holidays and um, I had a young son. So I had the desire to, once I finished my MBA, to put some of that entrepreneurial and um, business and marketing skills to, to better use. And honestly, just to be able to spend more time home uh, with my son. And so I was like, if I could find an opportunity um, that allowed me to be entrepreneurial um, and uh, be home nights and weekends, that would be, that would be ideal. And also um, to maybe be a little bit less in crisis mode. Although I will say that, that the skills I learned to target um, have been invaluable to me and, and all of my jobs since. Yeah, I actually wanted to, uh, it's funny that you brought that into, into view around the crisis management piece, because while we are referring back 10 plus years, uh, you present day, you know, we're recording this during, well, during the middle of a global pandemic, uh, there've been, there's been a run on, you said off, off camera here a little while ago, uh, you know, there were, you were there managing crises, <laughs> if there were a run on diapers, but the reality is like hilariously, we've had a run on toilet paper and hand sanitizer and things like that. 
I wonder before we keep going here, what have you, what do you feel like as a former store manager and crisis management professional you carry into uh, sort of what's happening now with coronavirus that you might pass along to others who maybe aren't necessarily prepared and in crisis management, any wisdom that you want to share there? I mean, I think I would say the first thing is not to panic um, and to try to have a level head. I think navigating through situations like this, um, the best, the best kind of frame of mind is to be calm and, but also take needed action. Um, I think that from a coronavirus perspective, I think there's a lot of doubt and uncertainty not just from from how we're going to manage our businesses, our installers, our distributors, et cetera, but what we do um, with our families and inside of our home. Um, so I would say my first, the first thing that comes to mind to me is don't panic and then to make a plan. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? What does it look like in the immediate future? Maybe that's the next two days, three days. And then what does it look like two weeks, four weeks out? And then I, 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 you know, I write things down and I say, okay, what does this look like? What does it look like from how much food I need to have in my house to how I will maintain, you know, physical activity and, um, you know, keeping the interest of my 13 year old son. So he's not, so he's not bored. And so he's productive companies that working in the solar industry and beyond could do something very similar. So what, how do we look at their crisis management plan? And that could be from when do we have people? People come in versus when do we have people stay at home? Um, who do we have working um, in the same area together? So if we have a CFO and a CEO, maybe they're not, if they're both, you know, coming into the office, maybe they don't come in on the same days, right? But um, to look at kind of worst case scenario and then build your way back. And if it doesn't get to worst case scenario, that's okay. But if it does, you'll have a plan. So you'll be able to be calm and to, to work through the plan that you've created. Um, and also to bring in partners. So if it's at your home, you're bringing in your family or maybe even your neighbors and at work that you're bringing in, um, not just senior management, but, um, you know, the people who will be affected to get their input. You mentioned along the way, uh, being a mom to Will, 13 year old. Yes. 13 yes. <laughs> year old son. I know that that's a particular area of, uh, of passion and pride for you. Um, you know, with, I guess, and I don't think that you mind me saying it, but that you've been uh, raising Will as a single mom. I think that that for me is something that I, it gives me pause to an admiration to think uh, a lot of the work that you are engaged in. Uh, many of us are privileged to have a partner, a helper, um, not, not that you don't have friends and family, but um, I wonder, um, and I know also that moving on from target for you was a, a a search for stability a sense of more um calm and peace at home uh while you were going through this like very young child and trying to stand yourself up as as a working professional can we explore a bit some of the things that you that you built uh around yourself uh within the construct of a single mom getting an education searching for and finding and, and progressing as a professional um, that while not unique to you or maybe even to women might serve to help those who are thinking about how they're dealing with uh, the hard things in their life. I've been a single parent for 10 years now. And I think that having or having, having, and also having the desire to work and to be a professional has always been important to me. And that didn't change after I became a parent. 
I think I think one of the things that I would say is that your work or my work needs to have purpose. Um, and um, working in the solar industry does give me that purpose because it it fulfills my desire to help make the world a better place, specifically for my son and, and for, for everyone. And so there's some solace in knowing that that the work and the time that I'm away from him is really to his benefit and to, and to help make the world a better place. So I would say the, the first thing is that um, for me, it's having a purpose um, and contributing to a greater good. I would say that I have a lot of supportive friends and family that have been, have been around me. Um, it hasn't always been easy to maintain a position in the solar industry in the Pacific Northwest. Certainly in 2010, I just happened upon a solar opportunity and since my time then, um, you know, I've been building my network and my connections, and it's been really important to me um, to, to continue in on this industry because I really believe in it. Um, it hasn't always been easy. There weren't always a plethora of solar jobs in, in the Pacific Northwest. And as anyone who's been in the solar industry for more than a handful of years knows, solar companies can be really volatile. They mm-hmm. come and go. I know only a handful of people that are still with the same company that they started with whenever we had met because um, it's just tends to be the nature of this fast growing industry that, that Mm. we, that we work in. Um, And so, um, but at the same time, because I have this purpose and this drive, it's, it's led me to continue seeking opportunities specifically in the solar industry, whether that's my work or the Mm. state board work that I've done, or even, you know, the national um, board work with, with Sia. Mm. Um, and, you know, I take my son to the local, um, climate change drives and, and opportunities to, to try to set a good example for him. Um, and, um, I see a lot of dynamic parents in the solar industry that I'm really excited to see, because I think having that shared mission and purpose and that, that shared goal of making, uh, the world a better place for our kids. I think that's a really unique connection that you know, I haven't found in some of the other industries I've worked in. Around about 2000, uh, well, obviously you work in, in ESL and in marketing, but around about 2012, I started seeing you and Raina uh, partner up on social media stuff. For those who don't know Raina Russo, she, maybe you could tell uh, a little bit about Raina. I'd lo- I've been uh, and failing to get uh, coordinated with Raina to have her on, but you guys were some of the early, uh, in my view, some of the early leaders that really kind of created a voice, created a space for there to be sort of a social media presence for solar. How would you like, tell, tell me a little bit about how that got started, how, how we've seen the transition of kind of the narrative solar over that time. I'm, I, I'd love that. I'd love it if you could extrapolate from there, kind of how that led to you being more involved in, in sales than just kind of pure product marketing. But um, I'll note that around that time as well, like, to your point, Pacific Northwest isn't necessarily a hotbed of solar jobs. Like you ended up transitioning away from solar. So I feel like in some way, which is why I want to highlight this, so social media helped keep you plugged in and involved. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of social media early in your career and how you've leveraged it? Yeah, that's um, great. So Raina and I met, I think it was at that same PV America. I think it was Philadelphia, 2011. Um, and um, you know, she, she was walking the floor, meeting people. She had a solar marketing business and installation business. And, um, we just really hit it off. 
Um, she's amazing, and I'm looking forward to hearing her future uh, suncast with you. Um, and she um, she was like, hey, you know, let's connect on Twitter. At that time, 2010, 2011, 2012, um, I was working um, for a company doing marketing, a company that wasn't known in the U.S. Um, it didn't really have much of a marketing budget. And so it's like, well, maybe there is a way we can create a community a platform, if you will, for people in the solar industry to connect because we're located throughout the United States, but, you know, um, you know, maybe we can have an impact. And so, um, Raina started, um, solar chat on Twitter and I helped her facilitate that. And we would have biweekly or monthly conversations with experts in the solar industry or even in the peripheral that would come on and we'd have set questions that they would answer. And then the population at large could participate and um, I definitely, I definitely believe that social media um, allowed my network to grow because it wasn't just me relying on people in the Pacific Northwest. And I have a marketing background, so it's pretty natural for me to transition um, into that into that um, into that form. And um, you know, it just it allowed me to build my network in a way that wasn't possible before social media. I had used LinkedIn before and that, that was fine. Um, but it, it really giving a platform, not just to Raina and myself, but to other people in the industry was a wonderful way to connect and stay and stay connected. So I would consider you to be a savvy, uh, social person, uh, from, from a social media perspective, how do you see social media changing now? And, and then particularly you as a salesperson, how do you leverage or utilize it in your work? I think what's important to me now, so back then I was marketing solar modules that are, you know, basically a commodity. So there wasn't, there wasn't the story behind the company and the, and the panels, it, it was more about the people there. And so we were selling or promoting rather why you'd want to work with this company. Why do you want to work with me? And I would say that social media is still very much that way. It's about personal connection. So I work for Unirac currently. I like to share where I'm going, what I'm doing. And so I, I would say from a personal perspective, it's not so much a sales pitch. It's a get to know me and what I do and why it's important and how you can help. I think that's been particularly effective for me when I share my board work and my lobbying work in Washington, D.C. or the state work that I've done, I really want people to be able to see me as an example of how they can participate beyond their, their day job and also to, you know, share in my victories and, um, and, and also see that, you know, there aren't, there, it's not always a win, but the effort is still really important. And so I would say that um, for me personally, um, sharing my story and, and who I am as a person, I think is, has been, and I hope um, an example and helpful to people. Um, maybe they're new to their career or maybe they're new to this industry um, as an example of how you can participate. Um, I would say how companies are participating in social media now is, is really encouraging to me. Back in 2012, I transitioned from NESL and I thought, well, maybe I could start my own marketing business. And I called it the K-Hub and I could convince people that social media is a great platform for marketing. And back in 2012, I mean, it, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy pitch. And I, you know, I had a kid and needed an income. So I, you know, I, I um, never really fully um, uh, got into that entrepreneurial idea. 
But now, I mean, look at how many companies strictly do social media. So um, it, I'm excited where it's gone. And companies like my own, you know, they're sharing tips and tricks for products and who's doing what and where. I think, I think it's about the connection. You need to be able to reinforce it with your products and, and how you manage your sales. But I think when we're on social media, we, we really want to connect with people and a brand. And we want to connect with a brand as people that we can, we can relate to. Yeah. So, and so speaking of connecting, uh, with people, with real people, one of the things that I've always admired, you know, for anyone who checks out your LinkedIn resume, as it were outside of this, you know, just, I continue to be at the level of effort that you put into not family, not work. This is, um, I'm referring specifically to time that you volunteered with clean tech open time that you volunteered countless, what must have been countless hours with um, Solar Oregon um, in, in multiple roles there. You know, it speaks a lot to your character. Uh, I think it speaks a lot to your de de your desire to see this industry grow and your ambition to be more than just a, a single use, uh, I'll say, tool in the industry, right? You're not just a salesperson, just a marketing person. Um, how do you, how, how do you, how do you think about getting involved, that civic duty in our industry and what, I mean, really joining uh, any nonprofit in our industry takes time away from family. It takes time away from work. Often you have to negotiate with work to accept that you're going to do this sort, this level of sort of multidisciplinary activity. I think personally that it, oftentimes it goes unnoticed for many folks. And so therefore it's really servant work. It could be self-flagellation because this is a very difficult area to work. <laughs> Help me understand why you see this as a valuable part of your contribution to the industry. I see it that way. Um, we talked about Target and my learning how to be really reactionary and quick um, to, to adjust and make changes and to course correct and find solutions. I think that there came a time in my solar work where I saw that as much as I needed to be reactionary, because that's what the industry requires of us, that there was this other opportunity to be really planful and to help shape what is happening in our state federal government around policy. And I thought, how can I get ahead of this? How can I help the people that I work with, installers, distributors, et cetera? How can I help make this industry better for them? And I thought, well, it's got to be policy, right? If we can... And, Oregon had a business energy tax credit that was wildly successful. And then kind of the, the floor fell out on it. I thought, well, how do I get involved in policy? I, I don't want to be a legislator myself. And the answer became clear in our state trade groups. So, um, so Oregon and OSEA were active in the solar industry. And I thought, you know, how, how can I participate in that? And so um, I ran for the boards of both of those organizations. And I will say that even working on the state level, I, I questioned myself, you know, I think a lot of us can relate, especially women to imposter syndrome, where mm -hmm. we think, are we actually really qualified? And what I found is that a lot of it was just having the time or the desire to help. Also, my background, I'm, I'm kind of a generalist in a lot of areas. So, um, you know, I took me eight years to get my undergraduate degree and then a couple of years in graduate school, all the while I was working full time in the day and taking classes nights and weekends that I became, you know, pretty good at a lot of different concepts in business and entrepreneurial entrepreneurship, not, not an expert 
expert. I'm not an expert in accounting, but I knew a little bit about how to run a business and working for boards, um, trade associations, really we can require or where you can be a great benefit is if you know a little bit about a lot, because there are lots of things that you can take on if you have the time and desire to do it. And so it really, it really was a good fit for me because I'm like, how do I shape the future to make it better now so that we can be maybe less reactionary or more planful? Do I have the skills to contribute? And once I started doing that board work, it was like, this is a great fit. I have time, dedication. I know a little bit about a lot, especially how to run a business. And, um, and I have the passion to help shape the future of what we're doing in the industry. Uh, through the effort and diligence that you've portrayed in those roles, been elected uh, to increasingly higher levels of responsibility. Uh, I identify in a lot, a lot of ways with the not only generalist, but imposter syndrome. Uh, I'd love to know, how do you cope with and overcome that imposter syndrome when, it's, when it rears its head? And I'll note that not only, I imagine, does it show up when you're thinking about taking on increased responsibility for you know, an organization like Solar Oregon or, or even SIA, you are in solar diversity, in particular, gender diversity is not high. In sales, it's even less high. And your, your, your function chiefly, especially with Unirac, is outside sales. I mean, you've, you've kind of always had jobs where you are working in a male-dominated place, right? Ro- roofing, energy efficiency, electrical distributor. Uh, and now selling racking, which is by and large to to operations folks, and you know helping helping guys that are turning wrenches on a roof, and, I, and we even use the term guys, right? Like not people. I would imagine that in that in that environment, the imposter syndrome for me would pop up a lot. I'm curious how your what your coping mechanisms are and how you overcome that. You made two really good points around diversity. And working, you know, with, with men, I think the one thing that I've learned is to always bring up diversity when there's an opportunity. So whether that's, if I'm sitting on a panel talking about manufacturing, which I've had the opportunity to do recently, um, or I'm in the SIA boardroom that I need to have a diversity mindset. I think I don't want to go too far, but I would say that it wouldn't surprise me if a majority of women, especially in the solar industry, feel like the fate of all women really lies on each of our shoulders to speak up and to speak out about diversity. It's been a mission of mine with my SIA board work to talk about diversity whenever I see an opportunity. And there really are a lot um, to say that diversity is planful. It doesn't just happen. It's not just, you know, we wait for somebody to retire and then maybe we promote someone from within. You have to be really diligent and mindful that diversity will help make your company stronger they'll make you more profitable, they'll make you more relatable. But we really have to question what our diversity planning is. And then once you get people in, then how do you actually provide an environment for them to be successful? You're right. I I work in outside sales. The majority of my counterparts are are men. And it it can be tough to, to continue talking about diversity. I think it's really important. I think it's good for us to be mindful. It can feel it can feel isolating. Honestly, at times to be the only woman in the room and, um, and again, imposter syndrome does come up the way that are some of the things that I do to kind of counterbalance that is to participate in women's groups. I'll mention, I went to the uh, rise 
Leadership Conference. It's a, it's a women's conference in the solar industry just um, last month in Austin. Maybe six or eight years ago when I would participate in diversity conferences, et cetera, we were talking a lot about how can we just be seen? How can we advocate for ourselves? How can we not have this imposter syndrome? A month ago in Austin, we were talking about interconnection and ERCOT and equipment failures. The underlying theme was how do we promote women and diversity, but we were talking about the same types of topics that you would at any other conference. So when I think about imposter syndrome and diversity, really been reflecting last month on that experience that we weren't talking about anything other than we would at any other conference Mm -hmm. or forum. We just happened to be a room of 500 women. It was so empowering and inspiring. And I would say that when I ran for the CEO board, it was in the end of 2017. And I was just on the tail end of the Rise Leadership Conference in, in Albuquerque. There was a panel, I believe, or at least someone speaking that was encouraging women to run for office. Somebody had mentioned that C was having their elected board position elections coming up. And I was like, I'm just going to try it. I'm not going to be this year or next year. The elections happen every two years. Just going to try it and go through the process and, you know, and come back to it. And I mean, I was really boosted based on the confidence and the backing of all these amazing women working in the solar industry. And I did get elected. And I will say that there are 40 or so positions, board positions with SIA. A handful of them are elected. I just felt like it was my opportunity to bring some diversity to that board and a voice for small to medium companies that, you know, weren't able to, to um, have the, um, the board position to actually be at that table. And I was, yeah. I've continued to serve there and I, I, it's a pr- the privilege of my career to help speak for others. For those who are unfamiliar, Solar Energy Industries Association is our, uh, broadly speaking, our national industry association, as it sounds. Uh, companies pay for uh, a membership to uh, the to SIA. Uh, I can't remember if SIA allows for individual memberships. You would know better than I. Yes, but, yeah, at the okay. watt, watt level. Yep. Right, right, right. Because um, at the what? <laughs> Um, what? <laughs> uh, so I know that SEPA doesn't allow for individual memberships. SIA does, and, and SEPA is a trade group, not an industry association. So um, something that we've had to sort of, we've discussed here with Julia about SEPA and the difference. But um, I feel like a lot of folks really get confused about two things I'd love for you as a board member to help us to, um, to clarify. The first is the difference between SIA and DC and CalSIA or CoSIA or MDVCA. Um, all of the sort of local SIA organizations that on the surface would seem to be like the local chapter, um, you know, the way that Rise Chicago is kind of a local chapter of, of Rise as an organization. But it doesn't work that way. So if you can help um, disintermediate that. The other is how does the board work, given what, what you're going to talk about with the first piece, like kind of the disparate pieces of how SIA works. But then how does the board work and where does it derive its power? What is it for? Why does it exist? And uh, I have a couple other questions I'll follow up on there. So state chapters or state trade organizations like OSEA in Oregon um, basically serve to um, work. And this is a a 501c6 versus a 501c. uh, Both are nonprofits. One can participate in trade activities and the other can't. Um, So from a 501c6 perspective, I'll use OSEA as an example. There's also CALSA. 
we work on state level policy and to provide benefits to the local solar companies that are in our state, or maybe it's in a, in a, in a region. And so we're specifically focused on a specific state um, and members who are installers or manufacturers, et cetera, get to participate and help drive what is important to them. So maybe it's improving relationships with the unions, or um, it could be um, a state um, incentive for, for solar installs, or maybe it's land use. Um, and it's specific to that state. SIA works um, on national and federal level um, policy work. So that would be the ITC or, um, and they also will help participate in regions um, that have um, an interest for, for the membership. So for example, um, CALSA works in California on California specifically, and SIA will also participate in the California market because it makes up a large portion of the SIA membership because many solar companies are based in California. Do my Oregon SIA or OSIA mm-hmm. dues in some way get parceled out to SIA in Washington, D.C.? No, they don't. You can be an affiliate. So an OSIA could be an affiliate of national SIA, but funds at this point don't transfer back and forth. SIA might provide funding to... OCF for a specific study or um, or policy, um, but there's not there's not a financial connection between the organizations directly. So, if you are an installer based in Oregon and you pay dues to OCA, those dues are used specifically in that state. And if you are a member of SIA, National SIA, your due, the dues you pay to National SIA will go towards the federal level um, policy and training, advocacy, et cetera, that SIA does on a national level. Yeah, I think folks get a little bit confused about that, too. They'll join CALSA and assume that in some way they're supporting the national federal policy through CALSA, right? Uh, or they'll join SIA and assume that in some way that money is going to trickle down to CALSA. And it's, um, I think I often have to re- kind of sort of help people understand, no, it's actually important to join both the North Carolina, in my case, uh, local organization, as well as the national organization at their at their um, relevant levels. The board elections, you mentioned that a handful are general membership, which means that the general body, everyone who is a member in some way from a watt up to a terawatt level, get to get to vote. A lot of folks, I, I think it is now, I think I can hardly say there are a lot of folks who uh, feel that SIA at the national level is a pay-to-play organization where only the big companies get to have a voice. Um, you're obviously the the minority there in that regard. Help us understand the difference between someone who pays and gets a board membership and someone like yourself who has a board position that was voted on. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think I want to say four- I want to actually I just want to say first. Okay. You are not speaking on behalf of SIA right now, uh, formally. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want because I don't because I don't want SIA or anyone else to come after us and say, "No, you didn't say that right." I'm, I'm, you know, you weren't prepped for this, and I'm not asking you to defend SIA. I'm actually just helping, asking you to help us understand how SIA works. I want to be really clear about that. So, SIA, the board of directors for SIA is comprised of there's about 45 board directors, and if you are a terawatt member of SIA. Um, your company is allowed a board seat. And so it can be whomever your company um, appoints to go and attend board meetings and to attend committee calls, et cetera. There is a carve out for a certain number of positions 
that are elected by the general membership. And so um, that means that whoever is a CA member gets a ballot and they get to say who they want to represent them. And so three of those positions are general elected members, which is the position that I currently serve in. And then there are six um, division um, chairs that are also elected, but they serve specific roles. So um, for example, um, Carla Loeb is the chair of distributed generation, and then there's utility scale, et cetera. So there are six of those positions, like I said, three that are elected, and then there's an alternate. And so they differ in general board members because we can serve a two-year term and two consecutive terms or two terms in total for a total of four years, but the actual membership gets to say who they want there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my goal and my purpose in running for the board was to represent small to medium-sized installers, the people that I work with day in and day out who have an interest but are likely not going to be able to participate at a terawatt membership level and therefore aren't at the at the table uh, for board meetings for SIA. All right, Warriors. So you know that high demand charges can ruin a good commercial solar cell. But what if you could offer your clients 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth, that's right, a tenth the cost of installing a battery. You can now do that with DemandX, a new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy. Check it out at extensibleenergy.com and read the three case studies on how DemandX significantly reduced demand charges and increased ROI without batteries. As a Suncast listener, you can also get a free demand charge analysis at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. What do you have to lose? Crunch the numbers and see for yourself how Extensible Energy's inexpensive DemandX software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. Hey, Warrior, I bet you're already aware of CPS America's dominance in CNI with over 30% market share. But did you realize that they also shipped 500 megawatts of utility-scale 1,500-volt inverters in 2019? Their unique design flexibility makes them the only company with the ability to eliminate DC combiners in the field. And their DC to medium voltage balance of system bundle allows for as much as 40% reduction in costs. But wait, there's more. With string inverters increasingly used in utility applications, CPS is infusing smart tech innovations to drive down costs along the value chain from DC generation to AC delivery. If you'd like to find out what other cost stack reduction CPS can bring to your C&I and utility projects, head to mysuncast.com forward slash CPS. How did you go about campaigning, as it were? Is that a thing? I mean, I generally don't know how this works. How did you go about campaigning and building consensus that you deserved one of these three spots? Well, you know, fortunately, we talked earlier about, or uh, maybe I'll say it this way, um, building connections and relationships in the solar industry and has been critically important to me because it's, it's about the people that we do work with, not just about what I'm selling. I have been fortunate having worked in the solar industry at that point, it was seven years and now 10 years that um, I've maintained good relationships with people in the solar industry and I go out of my way to, to be connected with people and to hear their stories and to hear what's important to them in my day job and, and beyond. Mm. And so um, I, of course I had to fill out an application and state why I thought I was qualified. And then 
after I was approved as a slate of candidates through SIA, I reached out to my connections on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and told them that I was running to, to be their voice there. And um, fortunately, I, I believe I had the credibility, you know, having worked stateside or on the state level trade associations. And I had a, a compelling mission to them. And so I asked for their vote. And yeah. um, I believe that's what helped me get there was my community in the network. Fantastic. When you applied, filled out that application, even when you began to create that campaign, did you ever think you'd make it to be elected? No. No. How many I thought others? it was an exercise in building up my building up my confidence. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought it would be. Overcoming the imposter syndrome. How many yeah. others, so that folks can understand the con the sort of the context, how many others were on the ballot? Like you're one of three, but selected out of how many nominees? I think that there were thirteen or fifteen that were approved by the by the slate or, or by the nominating committee. And so um, you know, it wasn't um there weren't hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there were, there, there were, and are amazing people that are elected board directors of SIA that I am so honored and privileged to sit next to. And I learned so much from, and I also think that SIA certainly the last two years have done a great job of promoting diversity. Um, because if we think about the people or the companies that, um, are able to participate at a terawatt level. They're larger organizations that are sending in their best and brightest or people with the highest um, title, typically CEO or CFO or chief policy, et cetera. And traditionally speaking, those people in those positions of power are men. And so um, when I certainly in my first year on the board in 2018, when I looked around the table, I wasn't looking at many people who looked like me and it just further made me determined to be that voice. And again, like I said earlier, to talk about diversity and how important it is and how we need to really be planful and mindful about it in all of our conversations. You know, it occurred to me earlier, I had the question written down, is this a paid position? But I'm not sure how it could be given that, you know, Terawatt sponsors or Terawatt members are paying over 150000 a year. So I presume it's not a paid position. No, <laughs> no, none of us are paid to be there. Some of us pay to be there. Um, and, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and I'm, I'm grateful to Unirac for allowing me to spend part of my time participating in, in this. I think it's good for, for the industry and good for, you know, our, our installers and customers. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's not paid and it takes a lot of time. There are lots of committees to serve on. Again, I'll mention it's my privilege to sit there and to help shape where we're going as an industry. I love having a long-term 10-year outlook of where we could be and and coming up with some really big goals of what that looks like, yeah. not just from a policy perspective, but from a diversity perspective as well. Do you get any sort of fancy swag or lanyard for SPI? You know, um, I will say that I learn a ton from the people around me. The SIA staff is amazing and really dedicated to the mission of SIA. I, I'm just, I'm constantly in awe of the types of conversations and the level of strategy that we talk about in those meetings from a swag perspective. I mean, we get, um, you know, we have five board meetings a year. One is a teleconference. So I get to see people in person and then at the trade shows. And, um, I believe that me being there, so I'm not a CEO, I'm a strategic account manager. I love my role, but 
I believe that there are some opportunities that I would not have gotten if I were not on the SEA board. And they're specifically speaking opportunities to be able to speak on a panel, which I've done uh, manufacturing panels uh, Mm -hmm. to in the last handful of months. Typically, those opportunities would have gone to other people in my organization or other people in the industry. Not that I'm not qualified, but sometimes your your title will um, give you an opportunity or perhaps hold you back. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would say from a career perspective, having those speaking opportunities and just being in the in the presence of, of the leaders of organizations in the solar industry has definitely been a benefit to me. I wonder, so I often think that because, maybe it's because I'm surrounded by um, really remarkable and capable and very bright, you mentioned Carla Lowe as an example, um, women leaders in our industry, obviously, you know, um, Sunrun, is run by remarkable women and Hoskins among them. I sometimes wonder, given the lack of diversity, if for you as a as someone who aspires to be more and do more, if you're able to find being a female in this industry as a secret weapon, like does it give you an advantage? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, maybe in ways that I don't see. I think that there's more openness to to hearing women and hear what we have to say and hear our perspective. Um, I think there's some new information about organizations that are more profitable and more successful when there are women on their boards and in, in upper management and senior management positions. As far as a secret weapon goes, well, I will say this. I don't seem to have any trouble getting a meeting with someone mm-hmm. um, or scheduling a phone call with someone. And I believe part of that um, could be because um, because I'm a woman, I would say that um, it probably does open some doors for me from a, from a conversation perspective in my day-to-day work. And, but, you know, I think, I think there's still, I still feel the need to qualify my experience by saying I've done it for this long, or I've done these positions where I don't necessarily see my male counterparts even going down there. They're not, they don't lead with, I've been in solar for 10 years. And I see my, the women that I work with in the solar industry, they're like, I've been doing it for this many years and these positions. I don't think I hear that from my male counterparts. Mm. I remember um, friends with good friends with Jessica super who, um, we both know um, she had has had a really cool, prolific career. No longer serving in the in the solar industry, per se, uh, but just a dynamic salesperson and ultimately leader and president of one of the manufacturing organizations. She said that, and I wonder if it's true for you because you're in sales. She found that that she could close deals her male counterparts couldn't. <laughs> right, that impl- like almost it felt like when she walked into a room after someone especially now when she was serving as president of an organization not as president but as like a woman like she felt like men had a hard time saying no <laughs> like <they're laughs> kind of like there wasn't any more give like there's some i don't know and i'm not, I'm not trying to be chauvinist in any way here i'm actually just genuinely exploring this uh this dynamic because i wonder if there is some ul- ulterior psychology where if i am trying to negotiate a price with another male colleague he somehow feels like there's this battle that we can have mm-hmm. where if they're having that conversation with you, like there's not necessarily this warrior dynamic. And I've been called out because of the solar warrior thing, right? Like folks who don't identify uh, in that, in that way 
I wonder though, and I just, maybe I'll just put sort of, I'll just put it out there that I wonder if there is that real dynamic where in real ways, and it makes me think as a, as a sales consultant, do we need more female salespeople because they're, um, they have a way to be more compelling in closing a deal? Yes, we do need more women in sales. I would say that I think where I've seen the most success around that for me is when I'm working with a national account versus, um, you know, a, a smaller account. I think I'm not sure if it's just a level of sophistication I bring to that conversation. Um, but I definitely find depending on who I'm speaking with, I definitely feel like I have a better opportunity to close a sale with somebody who's, uh, you know, maybe looking out for the larger organization. Um, I don't know if that would bring true to everyone, but in my sales career over the last five or six years, I would say that, um, depending on who I'm speaking with, I have a pretty good idea what my close rate will be. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So given that we do have a number of folks who are themselves sales folks uh, and like us work from home uh, professionals, and given that we are going into a pandemic where folks are being told stay at home, (laughs) uh, I know that it causes no end of sort of anxiety for folks who aren't used to working from home. You and I clearly uh, don't have that. What advice might we share with our fellow, uh, our fellow friends here who are either thinking about how to frame the concept of working an extended period of time through this coronavirus pandemic from their home or home office? So there's like an organizational idea that we need to maybe help, think, help executives think through, but also what personal activities and, and ways do you as someone who works from home or works from the road, do you engage in that help you uh, not feel sort of left out from the office and thing and, and such? I would say that, um, especially if you don't typically work from home, I would suggest maintaining lines of contact with your coworkers and your customers. Pick up the phone. Nothing takes the place of speaking with someone. If you can't do it in person, um, pick up the phone. Don't be shy for that you can get a lot of work done by just calling someone as opposed to going back and forth by emails. I would say one of the most important things that I've learned as a, you know, work from home, work from the road perspective is that just being busy doesn't mean that you're getting work done. And sometimes people will think that sending an email and getting that If it's a question, you get that off your plate and then you move on to the next task and you're done. You can cross that off list. And just being busy for busy sake doesn't mean you're productive. I think when you're on the road, you know, it's it's obviously easier to to pick up the phone because you're driving. I mean, I drove, I don't know, a thousand miles this week um, to see people. Actually getting on the phone uh, can be really helpful and can solve problems quickly or uh, get answers uh, answers to your questions quickly. So stay on the phone, call your coworkers. Um, I, I don't have any trouble working from my pajamas when I'm at home and petting my cats. I think that's really wonderful. Some people need a routine to get up and, and do that. Um, I know a lot of people will have their kids at home over the next handful of weeks. My son's school is canceled for the next two weeks. So he's going to be at home. Fortunately, he's 13 and um, hides out in his room now, basically. So I don't have to be, worry about being distracted. But I would say that um, make sure you stay in phone contact, especially if you are used to being in an office and seeing people. Um, it will help get you get your work done more quickly and more efficiently, and it will help you feel connected. 
and take advantage of being able to, you know, cook from home, right? Like I love being able to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner when I'm here and maybe put stuff in the crock pot that takes a couple of hours to cook because I'm mm-hmm. here and I can monitor it. And that's really, really lovely. Um, and I, 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 I would just offer that people take care of themselves and, and, you know, spend time with their family and, and stay connected to their customers and coworkers by the phone. Yeah. And I'll also note that uh, one thing that my team and I have done and that I have recommended to some of my clients uh, is what we're doing right now, Zoom. Zoom Mm -hmm. is a remarkable tool. There's so many video tools like Skype, uh, like Google Hangouts um, that you can connect with one another. And so sometimes I'll just have like a water cooler hour where I'll literally just turn Zoom on and folks have the link and they can jump on and they can say hi or they can ask a question. I have a buddy who we routinely have coffee together over Zoom uh, and we're thousands of miles apart. I have another buddy who will literally work at the same time as one another as an accountability to get through the next hour without being distracted by whatever, you know, sunny day is happening. So I think those are fun um, uh, time hacks. I think another one as well, because when you're at home and you don't have the distraction of someone walking in, um, you can really get the deep work done. So if there's a project that you've been putting off, like now's a good time to think about it. Um, But also I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro technique because Mm. what you can have happen that won't happen to you logically in an office is you can just get so zoned in that you don't like you jump up, have your breakfast and coffee and like start checking email. The next thing you know, it's lunch. And the next thing you know, it's dinner and you brush your teeth or taking a shower. And yeah. um, so work from home has like, it's, it's kind of um, awkward side that takes getting used to. If you're, if you're only doing this for a period of time, set an alarm on your phone. Pomodoro technique is something you can look up. It's 25 minutes, right? You work for 25 minutes. You take a five minute break. You do that three times and then you take a 15 minute break. Uh, but you can do, uh, there are lots of apps for it, of course, but you can just sort of uh, hack it that way. But set yourself an alarm. even a I love that idea. That's great. That's yeah. really great. You I'm going to try that. <laughs> I have to remind myself two things. Listen to music, which always helps me get in the zone, and go outside. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, I'll stay in my office the whole day. I won't go outside. And um, yeah. and you can see it's sun shining here um, and snowing where you are. So it's snowing it's worth, here in Portland. <laughs> it's worth going outside. It's worth going in and being in nature. As we kind of turn towards home base here, I have a few questions that I wanted to ask that maybe wisdom you can dispense from the mountaintops. I'm curious, what lessons or key takeaways in your career have you uh, retained from important mentors to you? I would say that uh, key lessons would be that for me, at least, the work that I do, the work that we do collectively as the industry, um, it's really important. And we need to maintain our connections um, in the industry with the people we care about, with people we work with, to have a shared mission and to help others. Um, I think that there have been a handful of people that I've worked with in the solar industry that seem to think that I can do more than I feel like I can do. <laughs> I stay connected to those people, not just because I like them, but because they build me up. They get to contribute to my success, right? And I I feel like being successful helps them see that, you know, that that they were right. And it helps me, it helps build my confidence. So I think maintaining connections with people, um, having a shared vision of helping others help shape what's happening with their future to make the world a better place for our kids. I mean, people come and go. I think really great solar people just move to other companies. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's wonderful to see. 
I would also say just from a personal perspective, don't burn bridges because um, I was literally know, writing, don't burn point. bridges. That's so funny. <laughs> That's what I was taking yeah. away from it. Don't burn. Yeah. Bridges. Don't burn bridges. Um, you know, if, if you, if you have the industry at heart, I think that will not be a challenge for you at all, but you know, the industry as big as it is, it's big as it's going to be, mm. which is so great to think about. It's still small. Yeah. We're still all friends. I'm friends with my I, competitors. I want to, you know, actually, we're all good people. I know there, there are hundreds of stories that we all share for those of us who've been in, in this industry for longer than five years. I remember, um, I don't know if you know Oliver Bookbinder. Um, Oliver was coming out of undergrad, moving back to Monterey when I was running a solar company. I started in Monterey in 2006. He was working for my competitor. I saw him at a trade show and said, hey, let's go grab lunch. He declined. I kept insisting <laughs> that we should be friends, not enemies. Over the course of, that was 2006, 14 years, he and I have worked together in a number of different ways. And I remember when he came back to me years later and he said, I'll never forget how insistent you were that I not see you through the lens of competition. I said to him, which I didn't remember, but he said, you know, you told me this industry is big enough for both of us. Man, that was so true then. And it's even true now, right? Like we're still not even at like the real tipping point for what our industry is capable of. To that end, there's a lot of folks that are gonna be coming into this industry or who aspire to come into this industry. In fact, you may be listening to this today and you're thinking, how do I even get into this? Sounds great, sounds like a family, a cult even. (laughs) What what advice might you have for that young woman or man or maybe a middle-aged woman or man who is trying to transition into uh, the renewables industry, but maybe specifically the solar industry? What advice from a career perspective might you have? Um, Nico, I love it when people reach out to me and ask for career advice. Uh, Maybe they find me on LinkedIn or maybe it's at a networking event. I love it because one of the things that um, I really take a lot of pride in is connecting people. It surprises me when I know people in the solar industry that are amazing that don't yet know each other. And it gives me such pride to introduce them and to share a little bit about their background with each other. So I would say if you're somebody who is looking to get into the industry, or, um, or even looking for a new job in the industry, I would attend networking events and I would find connections on LinkedIn. And I can't speak for everyone, uh, but I can speak for myself to say, I love connecting people, giving them the insight about the jobs that they might be interested in from a realistic perspective, and then connecting them with people who might be able to help them um, get that position that they want. I've seen it time and again, participate in your state, you know, trade association if you can. We always need people who have time to donate, you know, or to dedicate. You don't have to be an expert, but if you have time and interest and you can show up, that's so valuable. Um, And then don't be, don't be afraid to ask, don't be afraid to ask people if they can connect you with somebody that they're connected to. People like me, we will always, you know, we will always connect you because we need great people in this industry. We're only going to continue to grow just amazing. Everyone, you know, working for this shared purpose. Kendra, what's got you really excited right now about where our industry's going? You sit on the board of SIA. You can see at a level that other people don't have visibility in. As a manufacturer, I remember working at Trina, you have that 30,000 foot view of what's actually happening in our industry. What corners are you looking around right now? Um, I think there's some really interesting potential policy work around electric vehicles and solar, and of course, around battery storage and solar. EV adoption will only increase demand for distributed generation. I think that's great. 
Um, I think it will help expand our industry and also bring about new for, you know, home storage. I think I'm also excited and I'll say it here as I do in other places, diversity, equity, inclusion. I think that there is a great opportunity to provide solar um, to low to moderate income um, homes, um, to industries, um, to people who don't own homes or to nonprofits. Um, So from a good perspective, I think um, expanding access to solar is amazing diversity of people who work in and solar is always going to be a really big opportunity and a priority, again, that needs to be planful. Um, I think that a national perspective, we really have to carve out what we think the next 10 years looks like and then what our roadmap is to get there. A lot of that starts with really good policies. I would say to the people listening, please participate with your trade associations and reach out to your legislators. They want to hear from people like you. They want to hear from business owners. They want to hear from workers Um, They want to hear from their constituents that are impacted by the policies that they're enacting, whether that's renewable portfolio standard or a carve out or 100% clean energy goal. Please take the civic opportunity that you have to vote and to reach out to your legislators. It's so critical. Um, I can't say it enough how impactful your voice is to the people that serve in your communities and in your states and from a federal perspective as well. Kendra, I know that um, we're running out of time here, but I wonder, do you have a book uh, or books perhaps that you recommend or gift the most? Why? One of my favorite books is, um, it's called The Solar Cat Book. (laughs) The Solar Cat Book. And it's this really cute book. And it's, you know, the the protagonist is a cat and he's installing solar. And it's great for kids. I have a signed copy on my shelf that I love. Um, it's a great, it's a great book. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I don't read as much because I'm, you know, typically in front of a screen Uh or in front of a windshield. I will say that the book, um, I'm reading, um, a book on weightlifting right now. It's weightlifting. weightlifting. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's really important to be healthy, but also in a sales role, I'm driving all the time. Um, I have to be really mindful about, um, taking care of my body and my mind. Um, and so I, I, you know, spend a lot of time working out, going to yoga, clearing my mind, hiking. Mm -hmm. I get to travel seven states for my job and I always try to take an opportunity to be outside, Mm -hmm. whether it's biking or hiking or doing yoga. I'm participating in the climate ride in May with solar. I'm really excited. That's a 300 mile, 300 miles over five days from the Redwoods to San Francisco. I don't know if you know this about me, Nico, but two years ago, well, over the course of several years, um, had gained a lot of weight. I wasn't eating healthy. And mm. so in um, 2018, I made a focus to, um, to you know, get my body in shape and I lost 50 pounds. And wow. I have this new, yeah, it was, it's wonderful. I mean, how much your body can do if you put your mind to it. So um, the climate ride is an amazing goal for me. 300 miles, five wow. days with an amazing team. From that, is so cool. that is so cool. That is so cool. I'll try to find a link to that as well. Well, we mentioned several times here on social media. We'll link to your uh, your LinkedIn, of course. Uh, feel free if you'd like to share your Twitter handle or email or anything else for people to reach out to you. Yes. Uh, Twitter handle is Kendra underscore Hubbard. Um, and you'll see a picture of me there with a solar panel cell on my head. It was a Halloween costume from a long time ago. I don't look that young anymore. <laughs> um, and um, let's see, if you're on Instagram, you can find me there. You can see where I'm traveling to and the animals that I pet when I'm selling solar. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And my, my email is uh, kendra.hubbard at unirac.com. What's the uh, Instagram account? 
Kendra Hubbard. <laughs> very, very consistent. I love it. That's right. Well, when you start social media, you know, forever ago, you get that choice at the uh, prime handles. Do you still have any uh, website or blog that's uh, personal other than... No, I no? should probably think about that though. No, don't shit yeah. on yourself like that. <laughs> well, let's, Kendra, I'm having a blast, um, but I know that uh, it, we have to wind this down at some point. Let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Okay, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm really interested in BIPV. So uh, I worked on uh, building integrated <laughs> photovoltaics back in 2010 through 12. It didn't mm -hmm. take off. I keep seeing reiterations of it. Um, and I, when I think about it, I think of all the reasons it's not going to work. But I would be really interested to see if we can actually make this thing take off. And I don't know that if that's through Tesla or through a roofing manufacturer or through Unirac, I'm not sure what that looks like, yeah. but um, I would say we haven't heard the last of BIPV. Kendra Hubbard is a strategic account manager for Unirac. She is also on the board for the Solar Energy Industries Association. She is a connector, a friend, single mother, and a powerful woman. Thank you for being on Suncast. Thank you so much, Nico. I appreciate it. All right, Solar Warrior, that is it for today's lesson on leadership and leaning in to give momentum to our unified push toward a sustainable and just energy future. Thank you so much to my dear friend, Kendra Hubbard, for giving up part of her Saturday to help bring this conversation to life. And thanks to you as well, my friend, for your commitment to personal growth and for being here clear through to the end. If you are eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow follow math, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with social media links, book recommendations, and more on the blog at mysuncast.com. Click on that listen button in the top. It'll take you straight to uh, these episodes. As I mentioned in the intro, I hope that you're subscribed to our weekly Suncast Tribe newsletter. This week, which is tomorrow, as I mentioned in the intro, I'll be sharing some thoughts on how we can become together during this difficult time where we struggle to understand what the new world looks like with coronavirus as it's disrupting everyone's daily schedule and life. If you have ideas, please email me, nico at mysuncast.com. Hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn. Both are linked over on the website. You can even use the fancy widget that we have on the website to leave me a voicemail. I do love hearing it when some of you discover that feature. You'd be surprised just how few people actually do reach out. I hope that you'll tune in next week as well as we have a fabulous two-part interview. It's going to rock your face off. Amanda Bybee is a real solar industry pioneer, and her story just could not be contained in one episode. So that'll hit your earbuds and your podcast players next Tuesday and Thursday, and I hope you'll tune in. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.